Welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjaris, and as always, I'm really honored to have you here listening. Um, there's so much content out there right now, and um, I hope that what we are creating and the conversations that we're documenting are useful and impactful. I love hearing from you. Thank you for your suggestions and feedback about uh, folks that I can interview. I have a pretty full list right now, um, which is great. And I encourage you if you haven't already, and if you're new to this podcast, to go back and listen to some of the episodes um, that I have been recording for the past year. So I just have one announcement today, uh, which is that I am working with uh, the Queer Lecture Series that is hosted by Field Days. Um, and it is fielddays.space if you want to find them on Instagram. Um, there's also a post on Instagram for that and a link in my uh, show notes. Uh, but I'm going to be giving a lecture on Wednesday, excuse me, I'm going to be giving a lecture on Tuesday, October 13th um, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the lecture is entitled Queer the Wellness Industrial Complex and Stop Moralizing Health. And I'm going to be talking a lot about my own experience with healthism and uh, my chronic health issues and how the moralization of health um, has really impacted me psychically and some of my thoughts about that. I'll be deeply engaging with Carolyn Lazard's brilliant essay, uh, The World is Unknown, which you can find uh, at the Triple Canopy website. And it's a beautiful read, even if you don't come to the lecture. So again, if you want to um, buy a donation-based ticket, uh, that would be cool. I would love to see you there. Um, it is in the world of virtual lectures that we all are attending or not attending or hating or loving, um, depending on the day. So I understand um, that this may not be for everyone, but again, it's uh, a really cool speaker series. It's the queer speaker series run by Sam Field um, and it's at fielddays.space. And um, the, a portion of the proceeds are going to the LGBTQ Freedom Fund, which is an amazing organization that amongst other things helps um, to raise money for bail um, for LGBTQ folks and is very invested in 
ending the mass incarceration crisis that impacts queer people, people of color, and trans people. So I hope you can join me. Check out the series if you can't. And I want to get on to introducing our lovely uh, guest podcast today. So I came across Coyote's work a while ago through Instagram, but one thing that particularly impacted me was um, witnessing through visual, um, through photography, uh, Coyote's really beautiful series when they were recovering from surgery. And it was a documentation of extremely intimate friends, lover, kind of care, queer care of a body. And especially during a pandemic, it was their beautiful photographs. And they're also really, I think, setting up a system of care that is really beautiful to witness. Um, and so I wanted to talk to them um, and I am lucky that I was able to. So uh, I'll introduce Coyote and then we'll get on to the show. Um, Coyote Park is a two-spirit artist, oral historian and educator. They are Yurok with their ancestral homelands being near the Klamath River, German and Korean. Coyote grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii, and moved to New York when they were 18. Currently, um, they've relocated to Los Angeles, where they're doing online lectures, finishing up schooling, and multimedia work. They co-founded ENBY Spoken Histories with Angel Labarte. ENBY Spoken Histories is a storytelling archive with the trans community as it centers non-binary, two-spirit, GNC, intersex, and genderqueer voices. The archive is preserved within the Library of Congress and ENBY Spoken Histories has a partnership with StoryCorps. In the past, they have had multiple recording sessions in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Hawaii. There were set recording dates that had been pushed back due to COVID-19. However, a digital platform, ENBY Spoken Histories, has been hosting Zoom parties with performances, book club meetings, and has done one healing circle run by QTPOC facilitators. Coyote's personal practice is documentary photography, where they photograph the intimate moments within their daily life and trans family. They've also been curating a QTPOC dream zine, working on other written projects with artists in their community spaces, and have been utilizing social media as a tool for connection for trans youth and emotional resonance for other trans folks. Coyote is passionate about building a framework of understanding of gender outside of the colonial gender systems and uses their work as an outlet to vocalize these narratives. I was thrilled and very touched um, by our conversation, thrilled to talk to Coyote and touched by their kindness, generosity, and openness. And I hope you enjoy this episode.
So, Coyote, thank you so much for being here. I've been really looking forward to this conversation for a while. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) You're very, you've been very cool about participating in the dispatch and supporting the podcast and sending folks to me and connecting me with folks. So I, I really appreciate that as well. Um, that's been, it's, it's been really great to kind of get to know you in the virtual realm. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I guess, you know, we'll start how I usually start with, with this question. And, and like I say to a lot of the people I interview, you know, you can kind of take this wherever you go with it. Um, but, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your earliest memories of being in a body or messages that you received about what it meant to be in a body. I feel like for myself growing up and the earliest thing I can remember um, was a lot of just like having a body that felt really alien for a long time. Um, I felt very much more like an energy than a body and hmm. um but I also just have this one memory in particular that really like I always kind of come back to in my early childhood which um was where I was with these like other boys in the neighborhood and I was really young I think it was like definitely maybe other first years of like elementary and um, it was just like kids like kind of joking around and being like, um, like, you know, little boys that will like joke about their like private parts. And I remember being like, oh, I have that too. And <laughs> just being really like disconnected between the material body that I have and how it's perceived by others mm-hmm. and the emotional connection that I had to an idea of like my body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you remember that really viscerally. And how, I guess I wonder, you know, even at that moment in time, it sounds like you already kind of had a way of understanding that a little bit, like that kind of the possibility that other people were not kind of experiencing things in the same way you were. How did that feel for you? Or how did, how did you move through that emotionally at an early age? I just remember that as soon as I had that memory, because that was very like early in my schooling, I actually went to an all girls school right afterwards from like all of elementary to 10th grade and high school. (laughs) So I was very far removed from having that initial initial reaction with like, conversation with other like boys in my um social spaces and then going to a school where being perceived as a woman and having constant um remarks from professor like from teachers of being like um okay ladies like in the beginning of class every day and just constantly having this girlhood and this community girlhood always at the um at the forefront Mm -hmm. of my day-to-day 
And so I just remember feeling very far removed from that. And I think the biggest thing for me of navigating that at an early age was really coming into um, this is how I feel about my relationship to myself, my relationship to my trans um, boyhood, but then being, um, you know, like shifting my environment into where I was just like, this is what other people are putting on to me. And I think it, it honestly helped me come out at a very young age. And like, I understood my gender a lot earlier, which is um, such a gift, but it's also something where I had to take on some really hard conversations with people that didn't, didn't get in my spaces and being like the only trans person out in my high school. Yeah, right, right. And what, did you have any, like, what were you, do you remember drawing on at that time as like grounding inspiration, support, or, you know, helping you to kind of stay with yourself and stay with that, that, that knowledge about yourself. Um, how did you do that? I think what's really, um, helped me so much at that time is I came across this YouTube video of this other trans non-binary person who was out as a trans guy for a long time. And then they um, went off of hormones for a little bit to kind of figure out and understand more the relationship with their gender. And then ultimately went back on hormones for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was just so real to my experience. Um, But seeing that in... Uh, like in an internet space where it's very um, visible. And um, I think that really changed also to my own drive and the type of storytelling that I wanted to continue putting out with Mm. any type of, any type of platform or space I'm able to do that. Um, I try my best to utilize that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, it's really interesting. I think just thinking about like the generational sort of difference between the two of us and, and thinking about how, but for real, like that, that in some ways YouTube, like those, some of these videos are like the actual, you know, there's one, it's one thing to kind of like read a story or come upon a book, which is amazing and great. And like, there are comics and there are like graphic novels and zines and all sorts of things. But I think there is something, it sounds like there is something that was really poignant about like visually seeing yourself in a contemporary moment, like reflected back in this video space. And, and I think that can be, sounds like it was very powerful for you. Yeah, I mean, I used to be one of those. <laughs> I like joke about it now, but I used to have those videos on YouTube when I was like a really baby trans where I'd be like, this is my voice one month on TV. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I know that um, I feel really grateful for just having any kind of um 
social media trans presence at a young age, especially with like when Tumblr was at its like biggest um, Mm -hmm. um, influence. But also it was just very, very white. Like (laughs) my my name that I chose for myself um, at the time was like Carter. And it was because all I saw was like, white trans um trans boy representation and it was very Mm -hmm. binary and it made me feel very out of place and it wasn't until I had more conversations with my family that I talked more about you know our culture and being two-spirit and talking with my grandma I did like this um oral history archive for a little bit with the two-spirit community which I ended up um kind of merging more into the work that I do now. But um, I remember having that conversation with my grandma about doing that, um, doing traveling for that archive. And she felt like it was like I was coming home to her in a way. And Mm -hmm. yeah, she um, saw it more as like me embracing um, her and myself and how she views me. Um, because when I came out as like a trans guy or talked about it in a more like colonial gender system, she just was very like, um, she was very distant from me. And it wasn't until that I had talked more about being two-spirit with her. Um, and my even my name too, when I go back to going by Carter for a long time is right now the name that I go by is a, a name that I had in dialogue with my father, who's Yurok and Korean. And um, I, it was, <laughs> he told me, because we were talking about the name Coyote, and he's like, oh, that feels more fitting for you. And he also offered the name Cobra. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which, like, to me, I'm like, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> too bro-y for me. Yeah, it's the, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I thought it was in terms of seeing him um, wanting to make that connection with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really amazing. I mean, I, I really, I would love to hear a little bit more, I think in part because certainly I want to know, but also I think it's important, kind of an important intervention or opportunity for an intervention for you to talk a little bit more about the way in which kind of mainstream queer narratives utilize the notion of two-spirit, two-spiritedness, or co-opt it, or, you know, colonize it, and, and how your experience of that has been for you, and what, kind of like what you would like folks to know about your experience of, I mean, this story that you're telling about your grandmother is just really interesting because you're, I guess what I'm hearing is that there was a part of you that was kind of trying, was trying very hard to situate yourself um, in a, a kind of a binary that she didn't recognize as something that might, that was actually true to you. She sort of saw the way that you were striving to, to adhere to a binary that, that, um, didn't resonate. Um, 
but that that was also kind of what was presented on YouTube and what was, you know, that was what sort of, you know, got you through in a way. So it sounds like you've really had to navigate um, these different influences and come and continually kind of come up with your own way of relating to your your body and your sense of self. But I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I have really big feelings about this, especially in terms of like, um, I've definitely had my own hesitance sometimes about um, being vocal, even on just say like Instagram or anything, because there's just so many times that I've seen, you know, being too spirit appropriated by people like, you know, Jason Mraz or something. (laughs) Um, And so... I just get really worried about like, you know, with increased visibility, it also comes with a lot of people that um, maybe see it as like, oh, this is something cool rather than this is something culturally specific that needs yeah. to be like, respected as such. Um, and it's like, how how do you be um, like very like put something so sacred into a larger community dialogue. Mm. Um, And I think that that's why, you know, in the graphic that Beyond helped me illustrate, which um, Beyond's like my two-spirit kin, and I made this infographic about two-spirit identity um, and the history of it, Mm. um, I really wrote down in the description of it being like this, you know, first and foremost is for... Um, other true spirit can and for other people within like my siblings and um, people within the community like I feel like all that I do in talking about um, my relationship uh, to you know both being two spirit but also being like an queer person um, it's all just for siblings that I can then continue building relationships with like a lot of it in the bio, like the not bio, but in the description of it was very much like, Hey, like, please reach out. Like I'm here to continue um, Mm. like holding these conversations and also just building, building family. And, you know, I get really scared sometimes, especially with building of numbers or building of like um, people like right now, I just, I'm so overwhelmed about even just like, going through my dms because I feel like as soon as I clear it there's so much more um Mm -hmm. and I get really I talk to my fiance about being like oh like um like what if I just like (laughs) delete but I'm like at the end of the day like what's so important to me is just um constantly building family constantly building community like a lot of the outreach because originally I was supposed to go to Hawaii for um, doing photo work with trans community there, but I had so many connections that I was able to find through social media that that's really like the biggest blessing to me, Mm. Um, which I'm very sad about not being in my hometown of um, Hawaii right now. Um, My family thankfully recovered from Mm. COVID, but it was just like having my like, close family like my 
siblings and everyone getting sick. And then now, like, my uncle got sick here in um, Tongva territory in California. Mm. Um, it's just, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, um, mm. it's interesting right now, just in my life and in general, I've definitely gravitated a lot towards, like, my trans and queer family and all this family that, and I, like, that I've built, um, especially with the ones that, like, are very, like, intimate in my life right now with my, um, my marriage and everything, but then to have just, like, my, like, blood family really struggling right now um it's just like interesting in terms of just now kind of coming back into communication with them um in a way more intimate level and um yeah just like trying to show up for everyone in my life Mm. yeah I mean and I'm and I am really sorry to hear about your family, it sounds, it sounds particularly painful to, which is not unique to your situation, but just that you can't, when people are suffering, we can't attend to, um, and be with physically, um, the, the people that are, that are suffering with this particular COVID situation. It's just really, uh, I don't know how that's felt for you, but it just seems extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, um, I think like a lot of it comes down to too for like my relationship in community culturally, like myself and other two spirit can like you know traditionally we're seen as like in moments of crisis or in like really important moments in um, our like families' lives to be there to, um, you know, as like, like both like healers, but also to just, um, you know, having an important role in that way. And this is why it kind of gravitates back to the whole, um, just to the whole fact that like, the spirit community and indigenous queer community, like so much of it is um, in a reflection of the, the either the roles that we have or um, the medicine that we bring in different ways, which um, we can, you know, like talk to about like what like medicine means, especially right now in a time of just like so many um levels of crisis so many layers of just like um communal suffering right now yeah I would love to hear about that about what that your thoughts are on that um the idea of medicine and and maybe even particularly just broadly but also you know I'd love to hear about maybe what has felt like medicine for you um Because I think as someone who is sort of a, a, you know, kind of going back to Instagram, like an outwardly facing person who is really, um, you know, you're doing all of this work, building dialogue, connecting people, you know, 
being really brave and in a lots in lots of ways it's kind of also I mean that that always makes me wonder you know like what is what nurtures you and what it has felt like medicine for you um and your body for me um ever since like a really young age just different forms of art have always been medicine for me Mm -hmm. um especially coming into doing photo work like right now I've just been so grateful to be back in Tongva territory with my fiance to do um like photo documentation with her on a daily like um I feel like it's (laughs) um I think that also too gift giving is such a big language to me and whenever I get like film back it feels like I'm getting like a gift and um yeah, gift giving is medicine for me. It's like also, yeah, um, big part of like love language. Like cooking has been medicine for me. Um, my like fiance made me like bibimbap the other night, and it was like the best meal that I had in a really long time. Mm. Um, and with the photo documentation work that I've been doing. Um, it's felt so healing and it's felt so um, like just reflective of what I care about and where I put my care into. Um, I used to work for a long time in Lenape Hooking in New York with um different media companies for photography and I did a lot of like freelance work and editorial work and just shifting it back into more personal like documentary work and doing more of it as like a fine arts practice for myself Mm -hmm. has been so like um just like spiritually in like oh like it's just been such a recharge and it's just kind of given me a different perspective on um, what feels fulfilling to me. Yeah. Um, But I think that in general, like, um, you know, to me with the work that I've been doing with Marina Labart, like my best friend with the MB Spoken Histories, it's like conversation and storytelling has been the biggest um, means of medicine to me. I also have been really wanting to pick up more tattooing now that I'm in an environment where it feels a little bit more laid back. Um, I feel like I have more of the energy to keep learning um, because a big goal of mine is to do like going back to gift giving is I feel like that's the biggest exchange within indigenous communities. And it's a big way how I greet friends of mine. Mm. And um, I really want to be able to give like free tattoos to like other like native kin. Um, And just being able to do that more is like tattooing a ceremony for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not as interested in like, being big in tattoo industry I definitely want it to be something more personal to me that I kind of like you know um do as a practice on top of everything else like um medicine for me has always been photography even like the lowest parts of my life when I was younger and coming into myself 
Mm. Um, yeah, and just um, writing is medicine. Um, a lot of just artistic mediums that are able to help me like channel just different um, emotional spaces that I'm either processing or embracing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's in essence, that's, you know, kind of what really um, struck me or like compelled me to reach out to you in part is that, and I know I messaged you about this, but you know, that just in your, in terms of like how um, you portrayed through photography how you portrayed your healing from a surgery and Mm. how you portrayed the kind of like just intense intimacy and tenderness of care that you were surrounded by and that you were engaged in. Um, I feel like that, and it wasn't just specific to that particular time that that event but you know it it is something that really is intriguing about about the work that you do and put out there is that there is this kind of tenderness of care that I I think has isn't always demonstrated or we don't always see um in like friendship and complex intimacies um you know there's such a bi- like there's often such a binary um you know like here's a photo of me and my partner and that's it you know and mm-hmm. um that's who I'm intimate with and I and that's very limiting in terms of what actually exists in the queer world and but I, I think I guess what I'm getting at is just that I, I've been really struck by you know, kind of how central it is for you to document queer intimacies um, Mm -hmm. and the complexity of that. Yeah, definitely. I I really wanted to document my healing from surgery, not only in the first week when I got back to, like, back from my surgery and was in, I was like in an Airbnb for a week with some friends. Um, That there, I remember most like important images to me were with like my best friends with Nassim and um, Angelito, like Angel. Um, I was like, I don't know. I also just really was so grateful to have the people that have come out to help me in that time. And um, a big one for me, for sure. Um, Like for me, like I'm non-monogamous. And so I very much like document different types of dynamics or partnerships or, um, you know, just different people that I like share like love for mm-hmm. and um I actually dealt with a really bad chest infection from the way that my nipple was healing in mm-hmm. the after the first two weeks of surgery and um I ended up having my sweetie who came out to come take care of me they're certified in nursing they went to nursing school and having them stay with me for a week um 
was so like, oh my gosh, I can't even d- describe how relieving it was. <laughs> um, and I recovered so quickly. Um, it was to the point where I was like crying because of how bad an infection was. And I think that a lot of times people, they always show top surgery or just like any trans-specific surgery is like, here's the before and after image. Yeah. And it's always talking about here's this many months out and this is what right. it looks like. And it's very off of like the appearance aspect of it. And nobody really talks about like either the complications or talks about um, the more difficult parts to kind of um, work through. And um, I think a lot of it too stems from fear of being like, you know, it's really hard sometimes for us to even just get support on us like having trans affirming procedures. And if we talk about the hard parts and maybe people won't like, like be as supportive of it and its complexities. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I understand where that comes from. But um, having my sweetie stay with me, taking those images with them was just like so like important to me. I did. I ended up doing two photos of the the bath series with them, which is my tea for tea um, bath series that I started back before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only I've only photographed it. Um, you know, after quarantine, maybe later on after my surgery with my caretaker team, <laughs> my little caretaker team, mm-hmm. um, like I photographed it first with my friend Angel and then um, and then my sweetie and then someone who was a big part of like quarantine for me in terms of us just emotionally showing up for each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just... That series has been so major to me and because I'll literally I'll have a bath time with someone where we'll be there for like three hours and we'll just be talking the entire time and laughing and I'll only have maybe photographed maybe like 25 images or something or 20 images on like a digital camera that's set up and so like a lot more of it for me is just the um, interactions that I have with people for it. And a lot of it more too is just like, just being able to actually just bring people into a really sacred space for me. Like for me, the bath and like the bathroom has always been a place of like solace for me. Yeah. yeah. What is that? What is that about? What do you think that's about? I feel the same way. Yeah, I think for me, just like a lot of it's a decompression tool. Like I'll just go into the bath. Um, I lived with my like ex for three years when I moved to New York. And like we shared a studio with each other for, (laughs) yeah, for the first year and a half of it. Um, and in that we just lived in like a box apartment in Upper West Side, where it's just like this small just room, and all I had was the bathroom as my separate space. So that's something for me that like I get like such a drastic mood change when I'm able to have that as a part of my routine, but also as a part of like a little daily ritual for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I wanted to kind of make sure we had time to talk about, um, you know, something that, that you and I had been in conversation about before, which is, you know, is actually probably related to a lot of um, what we've been talking about, but you've been, you know, you and I were talking about this idea of like dreamscapes as knowledge systems and how you're relating to dreams now in your life. Um, and as a, a, like a two spirit person, um, body, what that, what that kind of means for you specifically? Yeah, I definitely have had such a long history of how dreamscapes have been knowledge systems for me, especially how like informative that's been. Mm. Um, and growing up in Hawaii, it's a very like spiritually, um, I was going to say spiritually charged, but I would say more of just like, you know, it just has, you know, a big history with, like, land and, like, the spirit and people. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had so many instances growing up, like, I feel like I had sleep paralysis growing up maybe every, every other night, like, most of the week. And um, there's a lot of very specific experiences that I had that I definitely are always um, at the forefront of my mind. I have a lot, though, when I moved to Lenape Hooking, where I think about dreamscapes as like an emotional umbilical cord for me, mm. um, where I had one with someone really close to me, where I was like calling out their name, and then I talked to them later, and, um, you know, she was like we just had this whole moment of talking about what she's been going through and like even last night I had one with my two best friends and like resolving conflict with them and them talking about their love for each other so um there's this like emotional weight from it of the connections in my life Mm -hmm. and I also too just when I like before I even said like I love you to my fiance like I had all of these like sleep paralysis dreams where I was like I had one that I was like writing out to her this is when I was flying on a plane and I had like I wasn't flying on a plane in the dream but I was sleeping on the plane where I had my <laughs> dream. and in it I was like writing um in Hangul I was like writing like which is like I love you in Korean I was like writing it to her and then she was like teasing me for the way that I wrote it and (laughs) that was like one dream that I had before I ever said I love you and then another time we were sleeping in the same bed with each other and I had one like a sleep paralysis one where in the morning I was talking with her and I said it and then she was like, wait, what did you say? And then I like had to repeat myself. And then she was like, um, and then I woke up from it later and I thought that it really happened because it was just so realistic. And I saw myself in the room and talking to her. Mm-hmm. And so then um, later on in the day, I was like, did I say anything to you? Well, I was like this morning and she was like, no, we woke up at the same time. And I was like, okay. And um, I just like, it felt like my like spirit like kept calling for me to, you know, be honest with um, that emotional 
like in a heart space that I was mm-hmm. in. Um, but yeah, I just think that a lot of it is very connected to my day to day and it is a lot for other indigenous peoples, but also just like a lot of people in um, queer and trans like POC community, which led me to wanting to collaborate with my friend Rin Kim on a like a dream zine slash like I hope once it physicalizes more that it can be more of like an anthropology type of style of work. Um, I have a bunch of submissions that honestly I just have to keep giving myself a break before I read more of them because they're just like I get really like sometimes I'll cry from them sometimes one will stick with me for the rest of the day mm-hmm. or um they're all just like really beautiful and I'm really grateful to have people that trust me with um these types of reflections of theirs and you know their own knowledge systems through that yeah 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 I think that's amazing I mean as a I I mean I'm coming from a sort of a different perspective when I say this but I think as a psychotherapist, um, and there's a long history of dreams being kind of pathologized or over-determined by the field of psychotherapy for sure. But I also think that it that what you're doing, I guess what I'm hearing is like what you're doing and what you're promoting and what you're encouraging other um, folks to to do is to really do this kind of basic thing that is about trusting your intuition and trusting what appears in your own, you know, kind of subconscious or in the dreamscape and that that is, and, and, and naming that as a knowledge system. And I think so often queer trans POC bodies are, kind of questioned the validity of so much of um, just the, like the body's existence, you know, and that contributes to, I think, questioning our intuitions or our Mm -hmm. insights, you know? Um, And so it's, it feels really powerful that you're, you're sort of centering this. um, And it seems like something that you have been able to, hold on to in your life um in 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 some ways this idea that like you do kind of revere or trust your intuitions yeah definitely I feel like you know colonial violence has really instilled in us that like what is real has to be linear yes and it's like so how do we disrupt that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it it sounds like yeah, it just sounds like this project is is really powerful. So I'm glad it's it's cool that's happening. I also hear you on giving yourself a break. I mean, it's a lot to um you hold a lot of space for a lot of people. Um and even just in these kind of um like oral history projects that you've been involved in. Do you have any thoughts about how you kind of move in and out of spaces of like kind of holding space for others and then 
I don't know, I'm picturing you like then retreating into the bathroom and like taking a bath or whatever, you know what I mean? Like this, this, this sort of like movement from, from being a space holder and then, and then how you, um, notice when you need care yourself or you need to kind of take a break or retreat. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have a really good system of kind of listening to my body now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the biggest way that I'm able to go from, I guess, you know, as (laughs) in your, your words, being a space holder to being Mm -hmm. a space holder for myself, um, is a lot of just like coming back to, you know, in the end of the day, and I know I like talk so much on my social media about like what like what love is or like what it means to me as like, you know, like cutie puck person, but also um yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> I just I feel like in the end of the day, like being a space holder for myself means prioritizing the love in my life. Um, it means prioritizing the love in my life for myself. Like I'll do a lot of like nightly rituals, like kind of like gratitude, like I kind of consider them gratitude confessionals where I'll like hold space with my ancestors and being like kind of updating them on where I'm at in my life, like thanking them for certain ways that they've like informed where I'm at now. And also like giving gratitude to like the close bonds in my life and just thanking certain people and bringing up why. And I think that a big way that I'm able to, um, you know, give that energy back to myself is really just in a lot of um, appreciation and excitement for what I love about just existing. Mm-hmm especially coming from just having like a near-death experience in the past, I feel like life has really felt like the biggest gift to myself. And also knowing that, you know, going back to like thinking about disrupting what it means to have like a linear um, experience or um, I think that like also acknowledging how many different lifetimes I feel like I live not only in my past, but in just a day in itself. Um, I feel like everything feels very cool. And um, even when I go through extreme hardship, like I'm going through a lot of like disorienting experiences right now and moving, just um, taking on a lot, finding like a home base for myself, like I'm in a sublet right now. And so, um, yeah, I just... I don't feel like I've ever had a life that's been, (laughs) that's felt like I've had a lot of stability. I've definitely felt, feel more like emotional stability and a lot of like stability within my own identity and within my closest relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been really like, really, really important. But like I grew up in like 13 different homes and I was just like constantly bouncing between things and bouncing between jobs. And I'm like juggling a lot of different types of work. So um, I definitely feel really grounded in like my own being and like what it means to kind of reconstruct my own happiness off of like just perspective and also just Mm. um, looking inward. Mm. Well, I guess... 
we are now at the point where we can talk about how all of these amazing insights and ways of being have been manifesting in the work you put out into the world or the collaborations that you engage in. I'd love for you to maybe be able to tell the audience about, you know, first how they can find out about, about you and connect with you, but also, um, you've mentioned a couple of different projects and maybe you could just um, let folks know how they can find out about those. Yeah, um, I feel like the biggest place to um, come find just like me, (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) um, I'm on social media. My Instagram is Native Boy Toy, um, but the Instagram for my um, oral history archiving project with Angel uh, is MB Spoken Histories on Instagram. So it's just like E-N-B-Y and then Spoken Histories. There's also E-N-B-Y SpokenHistories.com where you can find just like our page where it talks about our past recordings um, as we've recorded in our most recent one was back in January pre-COVID where we did in-person recordings, um, which we did in my hometown of Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, We have a few of our audio clips up there, although we're reformatting it right now, but um, we're currently working on transcription process for a book. Um, We're hoping to put out these like longer dialogues that we've had in our past recordings and to shorten them for it to be more like digestible in a book format for it to be like easier for people to go through. Yeah. Yeah. um, And then also to um, with MB Spoken Histories, if you're following the Instagram, I've been hosting um, book clubs. Our last one was on Nepantla, which is a queer POC poetry anthology. Um, we they also like last book clubs we've had has also been on Okweke Amezi's Freshwater, and also. Um, I Hope We Choose Love was another book that we've done. So I'm trying to organize that to have another one coming up. Um, we've done Zoom parties in the past with different trans performers and a healing circle, which the facilitators from the past healing circle that did guided meditation and song and body work, they would talk about doing another one. So I might put that together sometime. But um, really, MB Spoken History is following that is just a big uh, community space that I'll try to operate through with um, like close uh, community um, partnerships. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you can, I'm still, even though I had a deadline for the Cutie Puck anthology and zine for the dream zine, I'm constantly taking in work. Um, I want it to be something that I have a long-standing commitment to care for it and how I, um, you know, present that work. I just want to um, really take time and patience with it. Yeah. Um, so you can always send me an email. I have my email attached to my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got some really beautiful practices and offerings and, and collaborations. And um, 
seems like folks need to stay tuned for more um, <laughs> through through your Instagram and through that website. Um, I guess the last, you know, as we kind of come to a close, um, I like to sort of take a moment to return to my initial question and thinking about you, you know, in in elementary school and having this kind of realization about, or having already a knowledge about your body um, and your body experience. And is there anything that you would want to communicate to that younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now? I would probably say that um, just keep following your intuition. Um, I feel like the best things in my life have always come from just listening to what might just like feel like impulse in the moment, but I feel like it's my gut telling me what feels right. Um, and I think that, um, just that I am proud of them for always being able to follow their heart. Um, I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm too existential about butterfly effect where I'm like, I would never go back because I'm very thankful for um, everything yeah. that's put up to here. Yeah. yeah. But in general, just like, yeah, just um, I would constantly just be in gratitude with my past selves and my many future selves and current selves. Mm. Well, Coyote, thank you so much for being part of um this interview and also just being a supporter of the project and the podcast itself. Um, it, it's a real honor to talk to you. Uh, I'm so, so thankful to just be in community with you.